yeah, very good evening to you and welcome to Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. How are things with you? It's wet and windy here in Salford. Wet and windy, it sure is. Dr. Jane Donegan will be on the programme a bit later on. Do not miss Jane. Before that, Ryan Christian from the TheLastAmericanVagabond.com will drop in and we'll run down the top stories on Ryan's website. It's Wednesday, the 1st of February, 2023. And well, that's a good thing, isn't it? I think so. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Yes, and I didn't mention, I should have mentioned, you can join in by sending me a message through the website richieallen.co.uk. It says live comment, comment live, something like that. Leave a message, I will read them out as we go along. I'm sure you're only dying to, to vent, to vent today. Not that today is any worse than any other day, but there is plenty going on. And we're into February, and that's something that warms the cockles of my heart. I know. You said it already this week, you big bull. Yeah, I know, I know I did. We're into February, that's a good thing. Now, only 11% of schools with teachers on strike were fully open today. That's according to the BBC. The BBC is reporting on a snapshot poll by a head teacher's union. There have been arguments about this raging all day long in the media about teachers going on strike. It's a massive day of strikes in the UK. Teachers, civil servants, train and bus drivers, university lecturers are also on strikes. It's expected that today... Well, it is believed today is the biggest day of industrial action for a decade here in the UK. And some Conservative commentators, even ones that I actually have a bit of time for, and I do respect the alternative point of view, some Conservative commentators have been roundly criticising teachers today for going on strike and calling them lazy. And, and... Referring back to lockdowns and accusing teachers of having a very cushy time during lockdowns, getting paid to do nothing when they really should have been standing up a bit more for the rights of their pupils. But you see, those are two separate issues. I would agree with the Conservative commentators critical of the behaviour of teachers during lockdown. Some teachers, or maybe most teachers, I think the majority of teachers went along with it and never raised the point about what lockdowns would do to children and never raised the points about mask wearing and all of that. So it's fair, maybe, to criticise teachers for that, but it isn't fair to, in my opinion, to say that teachers shouldn't strike. I'm a trade unionist. I know I've told you that before as well. And all you have as a worker, as an employee, all you have, all you can fall back on or back upon when you are being screwed over royally, all you have is the right to withdraw your labour. I completely support the strikes. That's my personal point of view. But of course, I get the anger about what happened to children back in the the worst of it in 2020 and 2021. But I think the two issues are separate. 
I've been critical of teachers also. Yeah, so industrial action and all the rest of it, yeah. Wouldn't you love it if teachers were to be going on strike because they were refusing to teach the curriculum as it stands? Relations, relationships and sex education and all of that sort of stuff. Wouldn't it be great if teachers came out and said, this, some of the things we are doing in the classroom I didn't sign up for. I didn't sign up to brainwash children. I didn't sign up to scare the living daylights out of children about apocalyptic climate change and stuff like that. I kind of signed up to teach them how to read and write well or read and read and write even well enough to take them into the workplace. I signed up to teach them mathematics and and that's about it really. History maybe. But I didn't sign up for this stuff. But anyway, so the strikes are making the headlines today everywhere. Now, the Mail Online, it's hit and miss the Mail Online, isn't it? It's good some days, other days it's pretty garbage. Very interesting story in there, <coughs> excuse me, which um I was all over today being, as somebody who frequents pubs when, when I get the opportunity, which these days isn't very often, right? Um. And somebody who worked in pubs, many a pub, worked in many a nightclub. Could your local boozer be closing is the question on the Mail Online today. Bosses at Pub Giant, which owns the Slug and Lettuce, and B at One Chain, eyes up selling 1,000 venues after accruing £2.5 billion worth of debt during lockdown. This is Stonegate. The company Stonegate, not to be confused with Stonewall and those lunatics. This is Stonegate. It's planning to sell a thousand pubs to pay off £2.6 billion in debt. That's in the same story. The mail can't make its mind up whether it's £2.5 billion or £2.6 billion, I suppose. Semantics, Richie. So this comes, says the mail, after Weatherspoons confirmed 10 of its pubs will be closing for good too. Chairman Tim Martin said... The aftermath of the pandemic and lockdown restrictions have been far more difficult than anyone thought. That is the picture for the whole pub and restaurant industry. Now, I did a bit of digging because the lazy journals at the Daily Mail didn't. They should have put the figures in for the country, but they didn't. Um, 37 pubs a month closed their doors for good in England and Wales in 2021. 37 a month. In England and Wales last year, 2022, the total was 400 in total. That's England and Wales. So that's at least 844 in the UK in two years because I couldn't get the figures for Scotland. That's a terrible thing, isn't it? You know, now you might not be a drinker. You might not imbibe. You might be teetotal. But surely you know the value of the pub in the local community, historically. You must know that. You know, for single people, the pub, for OAPs who might be on their own, widows or or widowers, right? The socialising aspect, great grounding for young people. Like working in a pub was great for, for my confidence. I first began working in a pub aged 15. It was against the law. 
It didn't matter. I didn't care. I knew it was against the law. Collecting glasses in a pub called Fat Sam's in Waterford City, which later went on to become Muldoon's, and I don't think is standing anymore. Great grounding for me to build up your confidence, to learn how to work with people, to take orders sometimes. You know, meeting all manner of people in a pub. You get uh, the local news, don't you? The local information. You might need a good man or a good woman to build a wall for you. Because you might be an idiot like me. You might need somebody to do a bit of wallpapering. Somebody will know the hub of the community. Imagine if pubs disappeared tomorrow. What would it mean? For the economy, number one. Where would people meet? Where would you get the news from all the young dudes, eh? Staggering. A thousand pubs nearly. In the last two years. And it was several thousand went bust in 2020, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I'll double check, I'll double down on that. I saw a trailer today. I saw a trailer today on Talk TV. Now, Talk TV is talk radio, but it's kind of morphing into television now. They're moving away from radio and they're moving into TV and building sexy studios for people like Piers Morgan and other presenters as well. So it's TV now, right? So uh, Nadine Dorries has got herself a television programme. This is the former culture secretary who is a serving Conservative Party member of Parliament. Has a new show called Friday Night with Nadine. Friday Night with Nadine Dorries. Her first guest will be Boris Johnson, the former Prime Minister and her friend. And the conversation will be about how the Conservative Party can beat the Labour Party. Where's Ofcom, dear listener? Where's the broadcasting regulator in this country? I mean, what the f*** is going on? I've, I've been talking about this for years. I've never heard another real journalist speak about this, or any journalist. What's going on? I've been warning about this for years. First, first they stopped asking questions of politicians. First, they stopped holding these bastards to account. Now, they're giving them their own television and radio shows. You know, let's cut out the middleman. Even though the middleman is sitting on his hands and you'd, you'd be better off putting a nodding dog in front of a politician. No, let's not even have a nodding dog. Let's get rid of the nodding dog. Let's give them their own television programmes. Where is Ofcom? Nadine Dorries, a Tory MP, is going to interview on a licensed news channel, another fucking Tory MP, the former Prime Minister, about how best to beat the Labour Party. This is astonishing. I know this doesn't mean nearly as much to you as it means to me, and you think I'm I'm losing my, my mind. And maybe that's because you've not had my training. But this is astonishing. I remember 23, 24 years ago, we produced a programme which was a Sunday morning review of the newspaper's programme, a, a, a newspaper review programme, which, which, which many commercial radio stations would have, would have had, would have used at the time. And our, our regular presenter had to take a leave of absence for some time. We were chatting about this at a programme's meeting. And I was sitting next to the director of programmes, who also happened to be my presenter. I've mentioned him before, Billy. And somebody piped up in the meeting. Well, why don't we offer the programme temporarily to some... I'm not going to name who it was, but they mentioned some local politician. A, a, a local 
councillor in the in the what we would have called a corporation, but the local authority. And it was immediately shouted down by by the director of programmes and he said, Give over. That's a ridiculous idea. It's astonishing that you would suggest giving a radio programme to a politician. And anyway, if we did, the broadcasting authorities or authority in this country would be all over us like a rash. I mean, can you believe this? And it's not just Talk TV, it's LBC, it's GB News, handing programmes to politicians, most of whom are still politicians. It is, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, they don't need to do this because they have the nodding dogs in the studios not asking tough questions about vaccine injuries, not asking tough questions about the climate hoax, like, give over, will you, Minister? It's a load of bollocks. There's no evidence whatsoever to prove your claim that CO2 is, is you know, as, as produced by our industry on this earth is, is terribly impacting on the climate. No, no, no. They don't need to do this. But they're doing it. They're handing them their programme. Speaking of climate change, a 16-year-old athlete has dropped out of the World Championships saying that she cannot just justify flying in a climate crisis. What kind of fuckery is this? 16 years of age. Her name is Ines Fitzgerald. And I feel a bit sorry for her. I think I, I, I posted this today. And there were a few choice comments for the young woman, but I feel sorry for her. I don't blame this woman. This this young girl, she's not a woman yet. Um, she's a promising long-distance runner and is so good she was given the chance to compete in the World Cross-Country Championships. But it's in Australia and she says she cannot justify flying in a climate crisis. She said, I had to make a move I had to do something just to make sure people were aware of the problem. I thought I needed to do something, she said to BBC Newsbeat. And she continued, this is a quote, So when I had the opportunity to go to Australia, I was like, well, this is when I should say something. So she wrote to British Athletics and her letter was published in Athletics Weekly. She said, travelling fills her with deep concern. I would never be comfortable flying in the knowledge that people could be losing their livelihoods, homes and loved ones as a result. She wrote, the least I can do is voice my solidarity with those suffering on the front line of climate breakdown. And then said, coming to a decision has not been easy, however, little compares to the grief I would feel taking the flight. The grief I would feel taking the flight. Good God. You'll never get the chance again, maybe. A child. What an experience. Taking a long-distance flight down to Australia to compete against kids from other parts of the world in the World Cross-Country Championships. And you say no because I, I, I'm, I'm doing my bit for the planet. Went on to say, I hope more athletes will begin to question their choices. Terrible, isn't it? The easy thing to do is to mock the child, of course. But what's going on? in schools. It's propaganda, surely, isn't it? Isn't it? And don't blame Greta Thunberg either. It's not just Greta Thunberg's fault either. They believe this stuff, these kids, don't they? They really believe it. That they are in, and I said it earlier on, apocalyptic times. That because of their 
you know, tender age or tender ages, they will be alive. They will still be young men and women when the climate goes into complete collapse and life becomes uninhabitable on planet Earth. They believe this stuff. Not a scrap of evidence, mind, to support any of these theories, but they believe it. Imagine the tragedy of that. Given up the chance to represent your country, your city, in the world cross-country championships, and you say, no, they are destroying the minds of children. They, the capital letters, they, with with, with, with a capital T, 16 minutes past the hour. Ryan Christian and Dr. Jane Dunnigan, the guests on Wednesday's programme. This is crazy, this. A whistleblower has given statistics, has given a report to the Labour Party about the probation service in this country that shows that offenders on probation are committing three murders or serious sex crimes a week. Known criminals have been convicted of nearly 700 murders while on probation since 2010. That's the equivalent of one a week. And during that period, there have been a further 950 convictions for rape, attempted rape or serious sexual assaults, including attacks on young children, carried out by known offenders who were on probation. Wow. The Labour Party has taken these figures, has obtained them, says the probation service is in chaos and is blaming the government for not investing in it. And uh, Labour Party MP Steve Reid spoke to Sheila Fogarty of LBC Radio this afternoon. Just look at the statistics you just um, referred to, Sheila. You know, one murder on average every week, two rapes on average every week for 10 years by offenders who have been released on probation. So this is supposedly the system keeping eyes on. You would expect the system, the public would expect the system to do its utmost to make sure that these individuals are being properly monitored so they don't commit further offences. So the idea that the system itself, under this Conservative government, is deliberately downgrading the risk level of offenders should worry every single one of your listeners and viewers because of the implications. And what we've done about that is I've written this afternoon to the Secretary of State for Justice, Dominic Raab, calling for an independent review by the Chief Inspector of Probation into whether and the extent to which these claims from the whistleblower are true. Because if if this is widespread in the service, then it is absolutely devastating for public safety and public security. Yeah, there's an allegation that they're downgrading the threat level of prisoners who are eligible for parole, downgrading their, you know, how, how the likelihood of what, whether they might reoffend when they when they are left out, and they're doing that to, uh, to to free up spaces in prisons and putting the public at risk. Mad stuff. The time is nineteen minutes past the hour. It's Wednesday's Richie Allen show. It's February first, dear listener. It's February first. I don't know whether this is rank wokeism or what. You'll tell me, Delilah which um, references the murder of a woman, it does of course, won't be sung any longer at Wales rugby matches, Welsh rugby matches, that's the Welsh national team, because of allegations of sexism, racism and homophobia at the Welsh Rugby Union. That's right, the Welsh Rugby Union is the governing body which, um, which, which basically oversees rugby union in Wales 
and it has been accused of sexism, racism and homophobia. And because of that, they've dropped Delilah from the match day repertoire. It will not be sung by the male voice choir before the game against Ireland on Saturday in the Six Nations, and it won't be sung at any game in the future. Yes, the chief executive of the Welsh Rugby Union, Steve Phillips, resigned on Sunday after the allegations of sexism and racism, racism, I can't even say it, and homophobia. So the choir and the union have been in discussions about dropping Delilah for a number of years, but they're dropping it now. Jesus. And here's a horrible story. Municipal workers in Tangiers have killed hundreds of stray dogs ahead of a visit by FIFA officials to assess whether Morocco's World Cup bid has any merit at all. This is according to animal welfare advocates in in uh, in Morocco. The call this is according to the Telegraph. The call has taken place despite a government policy against killing street dogs, uh, and it's even targeted tagged animals that had previously been vaccinated and neutered. And Sally Kadawi, the founder of the SFT Animal Sanctuary in Tangiers, said the city was aiming to clean up the streets to impress the visiting FIFA officials. She said they've used poison darts to kill dogs who have died in agony. They've shot dogs, uh, even dogs that were tagged as safe and vaccinated and all the rest of it. We live in a lunatic asylum. It's a death cult. Who said that? John Perkins, right? It's a death cult. Not just a death economy. It's a death cult, isn't it? Imagine that. We've got some visitors coming in. Let's kill dogs. Let's kill hundreds of street dogs that kind of mind their own business. I, I visited Tangier some years ago when I when we lived in Spain, the oft-mentioned future missus. We did visit Tangiers. It was a lovely visit, but I don't remember seeing too many stray dogs. Maybe to keep them away from the tourists. 22 minutes past the hour. It's um, your Richie Allen show. You can comment on the programme via richieallen.co.uk. That's my website. It's live comment or comment live at the top of the menu bar. Uh, the programme, I am on Twitter. It's at BBG Richie, at BBG or ICHIE. If you'd like to find me there, I'll be happy to hear from you there as well. But I am primarily focusing on richieallen.co.uk. A little bit of exciting news. Well, it is for me. It might not be for you. But the programme, in a few weeks' time, will have a downloadable mobile app. And it'll be the business. You'll be able to get it on through via Google Play, You'll be able to get it via the Apple Store. Is that what they call it? But there will be a pretty decent, it'll be a more than pretty decent mobile app. And then we understand from the statistics that we are given by the streaming company that increasingly more and more people are listening to the programme on the phone. They're not connecting the phone as much to a smart speaker. Maybe that's a good thing, maybe. They're not connecting it as much to their, you know, their stereo systems, they're listening on the phone. So I've decided, yeah, we'll get a mobile phone app and we'll see how we get on with that. But uh, richieallen.co.uk, comment live, do let us know what you're thinking. Dr. Jane Donegan will be on the programme in the next hour. You will remember Jane, I'm guessing, from being on the programme before. She's a retired GP, um, very popular, uh, very well-respected GP. Great writer, too, is Jane. She came on this programme early last year and said that there was mounting evidence, as far as she could tell, and this is a year ago now, 
that the mRNA COVID jabs were doing harm. And we're coming up on nearly a year since she was on the programme. Uh, I don't think she feels vindicated. It's not just like that. Um, but I want to talk to her about how she feels about it now. Caroline Feely says, we do live in a lunatic society. I'm trying to hang in there, she says. Chris says, Delilah, A. Eh? What about hair-ism? Uh, Isabel says, uh, Richie, the next step for that young 16-year-old athlete is to, as a woman, refuse to have children as she couldn't justify the need to add more people to the planet. It's madness, says Isabel, unless she couldn't make the sports event for a very good reason and chose this excuse to make a statement. That's also possible. It is possible, but it's unlikely, Isabel, because of the vehemence with which she made the comments and the letter she wrote. She's deadly serious, this young woman, that travelling by plane to Australia is damaging the planet and therefore she shouldn't do it. I don't think the girl is virtue signalling, looking for attention. I think she is convinced, and I think a lot of young people, I think, are convinced that they are... Well, the planet is at death's door. And that when they come to, you know... Re- when, 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 they, when they're in their, in their middle years, when they're middle-aged even, they really do believe that the planet will be an oven and virtually uninhabitable. They believe that sea level rises will have wiped out cities right across the globe. It is a globe, by the way. Right? They believe this stuff. And that must be a terrifying thing. It must be. You see, we know it's bollocks, so we don't believe it, so it's hard to imagine it being terrifying, but it is. I mean, if they're giving this stuff to children in primary schools and telling them the end of the world is nigh, kids go home. I remember the things. I mean, if you think about it, think about the things that you misunderstood when you were a child. Like you you would have heard something on the telly or you would have heard something said by a parent and you misunderstood it, and you absolutely crapped yourself because you're a child. If I think hard enough, I'll think of a good example of that, where I thought something truly ominous was happening, but really nothing ominous was happening. It's just I had the fertile, very active imagination of a child. What must be going through the minds of children when they hear this stuff? Sea level rises, and then they see these movies, don't they? Depicting these things. And they think, Jesus, that'll be me. Terror, you see, terror. It's uh, nearly 27 minutes past the hour. Time for a tune. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk, Fab Radio 2 in Madchester. And, of course, the programme is also on tunein.com via the TuneIn app. This is Sierra Ferrell. And why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Back in a moment with Ryan Christian, the last American vagabond.com. That is Sierra Ferrell. She's gooder than good. She's damn good. It's half five, by the way. Wednesday, the 1st of February, 2023. I love Ryan Christian. Uh, you've got to check out the last American vagabond.com. It's a wonderful website. And do me a favor if, as you do, use the website, uh, watch the, 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 the podcast, the videos on there, the shows, the news roundups. Uh, do support him, by the way. Let's never forget to support the truly independent media. Ryan Christian, welcome back. How are you? 
I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on again. I always love being on your show, brother. It's brilliant. Thank you very much. You've got a bit of a mic drop bombshell moment. There's new data on the effectiveness or maybe ineffectiveness of masks, of face masks. Do tell. Yeah, this is actually a really like I was actually literally about to tweet this out and I, I was in the middle of it. So I'll do it afterward. But it's like I, I as I was writing, I almost never say this, especially about scientific studies, because it's you almost never the right thing to say. But this is essentially a mic drop, a mic drop moment for the mass conversation because of the way this was done. Now, I've been saying this from the very beginning, using peer reviewed science, both before during and now after or whatever we want to call current status of the COVID-19 illusion about the mass and showing you, showing everybody that all, the body of work has always seen the same thing, that it is not statistically significant in reducing transmission. That's, that's N95s, that's cloth masks. Cloth masks come along with a lot of other issues we could get into about increasing risk of other infections. Peer-reviewed scientists found before all of this, but that's another discussion. The Cochrane Review, which is one of the most highly regarded scientific publications out there, just came out with a gigantic meta-analysis where they pulled the results of, get this, 78 different random controlled trials. Wow. 78. And what they found, quote, that the results did not show a clear reduction in respiratory viral infections with the use of medical or surgical masks. Then there was no clear difference between the use of medical surgical masks when compared to N95s. All of them found no statistical significance in reducing transmission, and they include this in the context of influenza-like illness, flu, and COVID-19. It shows showing you again that in the beginning, all the studies that they were applying to influenza-like illness that got dismissed because it wasn't COVID, that was always what that was meant to include. They're, they're respiratory viruses. And it's, I mean, this is a huge discussion. And anybody out there acting like they're trusting the science, I don't know how you could logically con dismiss this. There's nothing larger than this. This is peer-reviewed, 78 random controlled trials. It's, it's, it's a mic drop. I mean, it's a big deal. But guess what? I promise you they're still going to push masks again probably very soon. You're probably right too. So this is, give, give us the the uh, study author again. It's, you said it's oh, the right. Cochrane? Yeah, no, the Cochrane Review is what it was posted Cochrane on. Review. Let, me, let me bring up the uh, the actual study link and I'll, I'll give you guys. You're on top oh, of it. You're on top of your game again. Of course, the problem is if if people don't get it from the last American vagabond.com or they don't pick it up here listening to you, this is not going to be picked up by CNN News. It's not going to be on, maybe not even on Fox News. This is the, the, the tragedy. And you know, w w listening to you talk ab about that now, I'm picturing the many videos I saw from around the world of police officers beating the bejesus out of people for mm. not wearing masks, Ryan. Do you remember those yeah. videos that emerged from all over the world, remember, of people getting battered and punched and, and arrested and tased because they refused to wear a mask because they knew that the mask, uh, first of all, wouldn't do them any good uh, and, and second of all, could cause them harm. 78 studies amalgamated and they all yep. say the mask is nonsense. Yeah, and now the, the title is Physical Interventions to Interrupt or Reduce the Spread of Respiratory Viruses, posted on CochraneLibrary.com. Um, and then there's a, a big list of authors, Tom Jefferson, Liz Dooley. They're, they're all listed there. Search the title. You'll find it. Uh, it's yeah, it's it. This is an important one. Like it, whether or not people want to discuss this in the context of as like this is kind of why I said at the beginning, I almost never say this is the you know, this ends the conversation because that's almost never the case. Never. Right. And even if they don't want to agree with that, the point is we're at a situation today whether we're talking about in the effectiveness or safety of the injections or anything else where it's not so much that we're trusting the science or even considering the science or they are it's really the, it's a dismissive 
attitude towards anything that does not align with the already pre-decided narrative. And so therefore, if it's not this, then they are fake news or they are debunked. And the problem is that they, there's no way to dismiss these things. We're not saying this is the only thing. It's peer reviewed. So if they're not even considering it, then they're not having an honest conversation. And these are leading scientific minds and experts in our medical community. It just shows us, I think, a problem that's always been there that we're only just now finally realizing or understanding the breadth of. And even more interesting here is you've been talking about on the last American Vagabond.com that there has been a bit of leakage in the mainstream media. There has been a little bit of a concession in the mainstream media in the United States that the jobs were maybe not the best thing in the world either. You're seeing a bit of a breakthrough there, are you? Yeah, it's an interesting, it is for sure. And it's definitely another step towards, you know, I mean, I, I don't think we can ever expect a complete we did it, you're right, we were wrong, kind of a thing. Like, that never happens. I mean, we're still eking out information from the JFK story, right? Like, we're never really yeah. going to get the full picture. I think that's how this always goes, because that that tends to show you, in my opinion, that, that you know, they know, we know that they're at fault, and so it's kind of just this game that gets played. But this was another step in the direction, you know, let's just jokingly say from 1% admission to 2% admission, but they did go another step further in essentially going, look, we were, or, to be clear, as a medical student, He's, he's going through his research and medical student for PhD, so he's not a technical in the field expert, as it were, today yet, but he's somebody who is being uh, allowed to write for Newsweek, so that in and of itself being posted on mainstream, and what he's essentially saying is the medical community got it wrong, we got it wrong, and it killed people. And so it's a really, it seem, you know, and it's a, it is an important step, but when you read it, the overarching point, just like the whole amnesty discussion before this, that was a, you know, just an insulting push forward to say, let's all move forward and forget about it. Ever. This is now saying, well, we were wrong, but how we were wrong is essentially that we, we didn't, you know, consider how stupid you all were. And so we didn't explain it well enough and we did it without your knowledge. And so what was wrong is that we scared you away from the injection by not telling you the truth. Not that they killed people with the injections that are hurting people or they lied about the, you know, so it's, it's not real, in my opinion. It feels very patronizing. And so the end game is still that, yeah, we were wrong, but the MRE injections are your future and they would have helped you if you didn't scared away from it and so on. So it's just another game, in my opinion. But it is an important step that shows you that ultimately even what they, what they just admitted to there was fake news 30 seconds ago. Absolutely. And what, what they're maybe forgetting, maybe, is that in communities, people are noticing, Ryan, that people are dropping dead. And I, oh, I, yeah. I, I love listening to you because you've never sensationalised anything. And I, I do my damnedest not to sensationalise anything. But this is happening everywhere. There's a lovely lady who listens to this programme. She participates sometimes. Her name is Christine. She's from Limavady in County Derry in Ireland. And Christine said to me, you know, very honest lady, came on one of the phone-in shows, Three people in the community. Now, there's, there's no proof that these three people died as a direct result or even an indirect result of having the jabs. But it doesn't matter. These things are happening and people are beginning to ask questions. So maybe the authorities, if we want to call them that, are not factoring that into the equation. People are noticing. Yeah, I th well, I think you're right, at least at some point. I think now they're acutely aware. They're very, they see it very clearly right now that we all are, are you know, the average person is becoming aware of what's happening. Not to your point, not necessarily knowing for sure what's causing it, but very aware that something is wrong. And so moments ago, they were acting like vaccines, not killing people. So there's nothing to talk about. But now we're seeing this like perfectly this correlation of highly administered mRNA injection countries. Right. 
all of them almost exactly correlated with the high excess death. I mean, it is across the world, and most of the places that didn't do that are having not the same problem. It's really hard to miss, but that's correlation. And we are objective enough to say that doesn't prove causation, right? But no. the problem here is that, like you were just saying, it's almost like what I, what I shifted into around the collapsing athletes conversation months ago was like, look, let's just take the injection point off the table. Not that it's not important. To me, it's paramount. But just for the sake of conversation, let's just move that out of it. What's causing the excess death? If we don't know, then you can't pretend it's not the injection, right? And what we also do know is that there is an uh, shocking over-the-top number of excess death compared to any year you want to look at using NIH studies, FIFA studies. I mean, and then we're just talking about cardiac arrest, collapsing athletes, most likely while playing. We're not talking about the children or average people in their jobs or pilots or doctors or it's happening everywhere. But the point is, you don't need to point at the injection to make it clear that there's a really big problem happening. But then you consider this, right? Because this is what an objective person would do. They've admitted the injection can cause heart problems. They've admitted, regardless of how wildly undershot their admission is, they still claim that it can happen. They admit blood clots. They admit all sorts of things. Yet then when it comes to discussion, it's absolutely impossible. So how do you con how do you connect those two things? How can it be possible that it can cause it? But then when you ask the question before we know, with, for instance, Damar Hamlin, that they shout you down for it. How does that possibly make sense? It shows you there's a controlled flow of the information, right? That they just aren't allowed to point at it. But now we're getting to a point to where the information is so obvious and so apparent. And then you can continue to correlate it with, well, these people did have multiple injections in their body. So shouldn't we consider that as a possibility? I mean, I think it's quite obvious. And then the latter part of this is that right now, we are already seeing the shift into blaming this ambiguous, undefined, in my opinion, complete illusion that they're calling long COVID. Now, that's not to say that there's not always some sort of, or there can be some sort of residual effects of any kind of illness. That's always been there. But what's happening today is this undefined thing they've called long COVID. And I can prove to you as of today that they have not proven this. There's ongoing studies to try to decide what the even original point of causation is, but they're conflating everything that happens after this with long COVID. Yeah. All, the only thing they need to prove that is having certain symptoms within 28 days after this or after 28 days. And these people have four injections in their body and nobody's talking about that. And they're already trying to roll that into the ongoing long COVID pandemic, essentially. It's really good that point you make there. A doctor said on this program back in 2020, when they were talking about long COVID, a GP said on this program that he wouldn't be surprised if long COVID became the excuse for all manner of vaccine injuries down down the line and th that's got to be considered and you'll know this I think we might have touched on this uh, last month when, when we spoke last Andrew Bridgen the member of parliament for for Leicester or Leicestershire who who quoted an Israeli doctor the Israeli doctor said the jobs are the worst thing to happen to humanity since the Holocaust. So Bridgen mm. didn't say that. He, he quoted an Israeli doctor. And they've destroyed him. He, I mean, he's, you know, they, they took the whip away from him. And the newspapers in this country are painting him basically as some sort of a fringe lunatic. Yeah, absolutely. 3,000 excess deaths in the UK a week since the beginning of the year. It, it should be pretty simple. Stop the jabs immediately and let's look at what's going on before anybody else dies. But you, you nailed yeah. it there. Eloquently nailed it. No, no, carry well, on. 
carry on, keep giving them. And don't forget, folks, we've got lots of other mRNA jobs for you to take in the coming years right. to beat cancers and, and diabetes and, and, and uh, what's the other one? Obesity and all of that jazz. Yeah, they have they have RSV coming. They've got they've even talked about strep, which is ridiculous there. And on top of all of it, they're talking about weirdly simultaneously universal coronavirus vaccines, universal flu vaccines, and then weirdly a massive universal multi-injection with flu, RSV. Like, it's just mad science out there. And it's and they're acting like right now, the common discussion in the corporate field, in whatever, science, news, is that these things were a success, they saved lives, and it's the future of our medical system. That's what they're literally saying that right now, despite the evidence and despite the fact that even the people on, quote, on their side, which is not even the case, but, you know, the ones that have forced and coerced and tricked into taking it so far aren't doing it now. Last I checked, I think we we're seeing like 0.1 increase in uptake of the bivalent over the last so many weeks. Nobody's taking this now. And, and they're and they're still acting like it's a success and we're going forward. But if I can comment on Bridgen real quick, since you brought that up, it's it's it just shows you how clearly they see that they're caught. Because look at what we just talked about right there. The evidence is very obvious. So he points at this. The, the very same thing that they're now acting like they're beginning to investigate because the NHS is failing or because statins or because whatever excuse they want to throw out there that doesn't even um, make sense in the other countries dealing with the same problem, right? We all see it. So he comes out and he points at it and he references an Israeli doctor who says this. And then they, and they know this. It's easy to find that out. And yet they carry on acting like he made a racist comment, calling him, you know, calling him a bigot, calling him anti-Semite. So it just shows you that they, they took the, the low-hanging fruit because it's all they could do, because they knew that their audience would grab onto it without caring to look further because that's what they do. That's all they have, guys. Realize how clearly you are winning this conversation when that's all they have to point at. That's all right? they and, can and, do, yeah. Go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, he has threatened to sue the former health secretary, Matt Hancock, for libel. Now, it's, yeah, it's, it's easier to sue for libel here in the UK than it is in the United States. The onus here is on the accused to prove their innocence more so than the accuser. In this country, if I've got that right, I should know this because libel laws especially of mine. And if he does, that will be very interesting because Hancock has called him anti-Semitic and he's clearly not said anything that's anti-Semitic. Listen to this, Ryan. Elizabeth is listening to us in the Netherlands. Now, I did not know this, so thank God for this. Um, You might have known this. The Dutch FDA has decided, because of the excess deaths in the Netherlands, they will initiate an investigation into the cause of the excess deaths numbers. But the Dutch government has explicitly stated, Ryan, that they will exclude the vaccine as a potential right. cause. It's and just I, like the Scotland investigation <laughs> into neonatal death. They did the same thing. They basically yeah. say, we're going to look into it, but make a very clear point to say, we have no need to look into the injection because that's already been shown to be safe. It's just, it's mind-blowing. And m meanwhile, the neonatal deaths in Scotland continue to explode. And the same point in, in, in any of these countries, in Netherlands or anywhere else. Like, it's, and, and actually, if I remember correctly, the wording they actually used was, well, they're pointing to whatever words they used, the original research, right? The original trials and, and effort, even though the phase three trial from Pfizer's own research was just reviewed by independent people High-level people, by the way, who moments ago were promoting the injections, who are now saying, my God, their own research is completely the opposite of what they said. 36% higher adverse events in the people that took the injection than those who didn't take anything. 
I mean, it's it's shocking, and that's using their own research. You don't hear about that on the corporate media. No, you don't. You know? you're, you're, you're Amazing. Li- you're listening to Ryan Christian. Go to thelastamericanvagabond.com. Robert Inlakesh is a great lad. Um, he's been on this program before. He's a friend of yours, and he writes um, for thelastamericanvagabond.com. Listeners will know that violence has escalated in the West Bank in, in in recent weeks, it's some of the worst bloodshed for a few years. Our listeners will know that a lunatic coalition government currently controls Israel, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, a criminal if ever one lived. How that guy, who who is actually on trial for corruption charges, how he ends up back in the top seat in that government is, is beyond me. Um, Anthony Blinken, uh, the... The U.S. basically the U.S. Foreign Minister, the Secretary of State, went to Israel, spent a couple of days there, came back and said, "Oh, there's still a chance for a two-step solution, a, a two-state solution." Do you know what I find tragic about this? And you've been covering this for years. I can't get people to be interested in this subject. Do you know that? I don't it's think sad. people care. Well, I mean, it's you know, I I hate to agree with this. I, I it's not because I don't think they care. I think people have been so desensitized it's it, this is think about i mean it's, it's like trying to get americans to care about afghanistan yeah it's like oh it's been tw- 21 years now you know it's like even though i mean th- whether people even know that they're actually still not out of afghanistan it doesn't matter though right it's just narrative 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 but at the end of the day it's just become so commonplace and it's horrifying to even say out loud i mean we don't feel that way but to the average person it just they, they just see the talking points and it's the same thing and oh another rocket was fired it just becomes meaningless and i think that's probably by design the sad reality of it that we don't point, they don't want to see is that people are being murdered. Children, women, average individuals. I mean, same thing in Yemen, by the way, but we could look at a lot of these places. But the sad reality about what the article you're, that you're pointing out, or most of Robert's outstanding work, is just highlighting the, the obvious. Like, it's the same with the injection discussion. It's either you choose to take a set narrative and you just don't look at anything else, or you engage with the body of information. Because if you even remotely engage with the information around this, whether we're talking about U.N. discussions, Geneva conventions, the general international law, you know, all this different stuff, there's no debating what's going on. You can go all the way back to the beginning and discuss the fact that the Geneva conventions have, or the U.N. has always maintained per the Geneva conventions that an occupied territory, which nobody argues, at least today, that Palestine is, everybody acknowledges that it is an occupied territory. They have a right to armed rebellion. Right. So that that's that settles every basic conversation here, because it really doesn't even matter whether or not Israel did something first or power, because that's an occupied territory. Therefore, Israel is in the wrong. But if we, we go forward from there and it becomes a more nuanced conversation. But you can take it to a point of something, something is horrifying. And and the new story we talked about with the Jenner refugee camp, where Israel's openly openly fascist government. The, the religious Zionism party specifically and the others involved in this new coalition have been called out by the ADL for being extremist for that's being right, that's it, right they have been the anti-defamation league has you're right yes. that's a good point My, mind-blowing but so so those these group they they basically carried out an action against the refugee the people in the, in the, the general refugee camp and killed over the process of that into this recent discussion i think it's now 35 different people but in that one example it was 11 women children and so on right so that gets ignored by the corporate media across the board then a a, a, a palestinian opens fire on illegal settlers who happened to be in front of a synagogue, not on the, uh, even on the property, by the way, that gets represented as a synagogue shooting. It's about white supremacy and racism. And nobody talks about the previous shootings. Nobody talks about the illegal occupation or how these people are suppressed systematically and their lives are taken from them and their homes are torn down and they're forced to, I mean, you know, you know all this stuff. 
but it really does get under my skin because it's like you said, and I guess that's why I'm right now even feeling upset about it is because you, the starting point is that nobody cares about this anymore. No, and I, I've not covered it for a while on this program and it's because of that because I get emails from people and they're desperate emails. It, it's it's not that they don't care. You you were right to correct me. It, it's fatigue. No, I didn't mean it like that. No, Richie. but you were bang on. You were bang on. You you. I think they do care. No, you were right to say that. I think they do care, but I think there's a lot of fatigue there in terms of yeah. well, what the hell can we do? Let let let, let me be fair on, on this. I know a couple of Zionists based here in the UK. They say maybe they have a point. I don't know. They say that guys like you, Richie. You, you you put a premium on the life of a Palestinian child that you don't put on the the Israeli child. You get all you get yourself in a lather, you rant when something happens to Palestinian children, but Israeli children are children too. That's what they say. And I say, Okay, maybe. I mean, is is there any fairness in that? Of I mean, course there is. A child I mean, is a I, child. I, I I'm actually kind of I mean, that is ridiculous I mean I would argue I don't even think that's a fair statement to you, Richie. I mean, do you I, you likely care about a child no matter where of they're course from? I, I would do. argue, right? 100% so my point my point is that that is a perception that they have that is only cultivated. Well, let's put it this way: Are there people that exist in the world that feel that way? I'm sure there are, and there's probably there's I can prove to you that there's people that feel the exact way in reverse. They literally have people clapping and cheering that sit there and watch children being shot and bombed that are in Palestine on I forget the area that they sit on that little hill and they why. But either way, the point is that you can show this anywhere. It's not unique to just Israel or Palestine or anywhere. So it's insulting to pretend that because they have watched a report about what this general thing is that they think we think that. But I speak up for people who are, you know, people whose rights are being abused, people who yeah. don't have a voice. So if, it, if an Israeli child gets killed by something, that's just as upsetting as any other child anywhere. My point is simply that we can see a systematic ethnic cleansing being carried out. You can see actions being carried out that are undeniable crimes. International law being violated. Now, in reverse, you like I said, to begin the conversation, if we're just talking about law, that's an occupied territory. So if you have something being fired back or actions being taken, I will still argue that that's it's I'm not saying it's good that people are being hurt. My hope is that nobody does. War is bad across the board. However, legally speaking, they're justified in taking action. So you can't you can't just ignore the premise of the you know the basis for what this started from and UN discussions and Geneva conventions because that's the very things they point at when then the arguments are made in reverse. So the point is just it's a fallacy because I mean the point is I care about anybody anywhere that talking to you many people. I mean I often actually make this point. I often talk about the Orthodox Jews that live in Israel that get actively t beaten by the IDF because yeah. they don't agree with the Zionism. I mean it's, it's a, see the problem is Zionists want to in that kind of context, want to misrepresent people that don't see the Zionist perspective as what we should. Like my point is Zionism is if you want to point out the political party of Zionism and how they are committing crimes, that's not racist. It's, it's the same thing as saying Democrats are committing crimes. Is that racist? Just because they conflate the concept doesn't make it racist. And especially since I don't think that also, and I'm not pointing at the race in general, but I can go on forever. I, I think it's insulting, though, that that even argument would be made because I think people like us fight for the people that don't have a voice, whoever the, they are. The underdog, yeah. And of course, notable by their absence in the British media are the legions of British Jews who absolutely abhor the occupation of Palestine and regularly exactly. turn up in Manchester and Piccadilly to protest it. And they mean it, but they're the wrong Jews, you see. So you never hear them on the radio. You never see them on, on television. And there were many... Take, take, go ahead, take go Ethiopian ahead. Jews in, in, in Israel, for example. Like the Ethiopian Jews are, are, are in the same way. Yeah. It's, the point is that it's not about 
even Judaism. This is about a political manipulation that has been discussed openly by plenty of Jews around the world. You know, right. Like you just said, that they recognize what they're doing. And that doesn't mean that all Jewish people think one way or even all Zionists do. Right. It's like they, objectivity is what's most important in this conversation. No doubt about it. I, I, I think about that, that issue and, and the, over the years, some of the controversy with this particular show, um, because I've always taken the, the stance that Israel has absolutely no right to exist. Um, the League of Nations pact, uh, you know, at the breakup of the Ottoman Empire meant that if anybody had a claim on Palestine, it was Turkey, but nobody should have had a claim on um, Palestine. The Balfour Declaration was obviously completely and utterly null and void. Uh, we, we know that as well. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how many people know that after the UN said that, you know, Palestine could be partitioned, Jews, I think, represented 32% of the population and they owned 5.6% of the land. That was in 1947. But then they set a group of terrorists on the Palestinians known as the Haganah and the Stern Gang and they basically wiped out nearly 800,000 non-Jews, either killed them or kicked them out of the country. Again, you'll never hear this on Sky or CNN, but it is an absolute fact. I don't believe right. it has any right to exist, Israel. But look, it does. I suppose every country, Ryan, that ever came into existence, it came into the existence on the bloodshed of the indigenous people, no matter where you look around the right. world, right? Right. Well, if, in case we're getting short on time, just a real quick point on that. I, I think that it's important. I mean, I, I agree with you, essentially. The bottom line is, you, if you understand the way this began, the true history and the legal setting of the situation, that then you're then you're correct. This is a legal occupation, period. But on top of that, I can be objective enough, despite that very clearly being my opinion. Like, that is my opinion. However, I'm un I can understand the conversation of somebody who might say, well, that was a long time ago, and the people that are born there today aren't the same people that were involved in that late. It's the same kind of like slave, slave, yeah. slavery conversation yeah, yeah. kind of thing. And so I get that. I disagree with it, but I understand how you might want to have an argument that there should be a new agreement to be had, right? That's where the whole two-state solution point comes in. But here's the insulting part to bring it back to what you said, is that right now Blinken's standing there acting like that's a point, that we should even— the, the religious Zionism party, Netanyahu, and everybody in a leading position right now, and most of them in Israel, are— outspoken about that not even being on the table. That's not even possible. Like, that's a laughing joke to them. And yet Blinken still has the gall to stand there and act like that's possible. And even more so realize that those people, like Netanyahu and else is with him, don't speak up and say, nope, that's not true. They allow the lie to be floated because they want Americans to think that they're willing to speak and willing to deal. And that's not even on the table. It's outspoken outwardly. It's amazing to me how Americans take American representation of Israeli discussions and don't look at what Israel's actually saying. Can I ask you one final question on that before we part company today? And thanks for coming on today, by the way. Folks, I know you My know, pleasure. but go to thelastamericanvagabond.com. Amazing content on there, real journalism, and do support it if you can. Do, all right? The independent media depends on the support of its readers and viewers. They... I don't know. I, I don't know if it's if it's as active as it was last year or the year before. But local authorities in this country were going after anyone who, you know, who received public funding, any any organisation that that gets public funding, but but didn't want to do business with Israel. You know, the boycotts and all of that. Is is that mm -hmm. still a thing? Is that still a thing in the U.S. where people who want to punish Israel in the way that they know? 
the, the best way they can, which is to not buy its products and to try and point, you know, to kind of kind of a financially punitive way. But uh, governments in, in, in the West, of course, particularly here and in Ireland, were, were, were coming down very hard on publicly funded institutions if they were boycotting Israel. Is that still a problem? You know, know, that's a really interesting question for where we are right now. So like like BDS boycott, divestment, yeah. sanctions, discussions, right? Yeah, that interestingly enough, I mean, I, it's still important and prominent, I would argue, in, in many circles that are, you know, acutely focused on the Israeli Palestine, you know, occupied Palestine discussion. But what's interesting about it is that post COVID-19, I think almost everything like this, you know, COVID-19 and the illusion therein sucked all the oxygen out of the room for most everything, it seems. And I think that's really telling. Right. Because I know we I think we all are beginning to see that there's a lot more manipulation involved in this whole thing than than not. And so that, you know, just one of many, whether intentional or just benefits to, you know, bonus to this whole thing is that, yeah, that has fallen by the wayside for a lot of people, like myself included. I mean, I still go out of my way to make sure I discuss what's going on in Palestine, what's going on in Yemen. But more often than not, I focus on right now with a great reset discussion, technology, you know, COVID-19 vaccines. And so it, it kind of removes that. But that's why that's why I so greatly appreciate Robert's work and, and yourself and anybody else out there covering this, because there's so much going on. But to answer your question, sadly, I do think that it's lost some of its steam, as many other things have, too, that probably shouldn't have because of that. Well, it's good to talk about Palestine today and, and the plight of the Palestinians. The last American Vagabond.com. Yeah. Ryan, you're an absolute gentleman. Thanks for coming on today. I look forward to next time. Thank you, sir. Me too. Ryan Christian, TheLastAmericanVagabond.com. It's your website. Get on there. Share it with other people and do support it. The time is around about 30 seconds to the top of the hour. It's Wednesday's Richie Allen Show with me, the BBG. Hi there. It's Eamon here from Immunex365, and I just want to give you a quick update for the new year. We are now in the depths of winter, and due to the lack of adequate sunlight, it is also the time when those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere have the lowest levels of vitamin D in our bodies. If there is ever a time to give your immune system a boost, it is probably now. Also, I am really happy to be able to tell you that not only have we been able to substantially reduce the price of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last, but we can now supply directly to Ireland. For details of how each of the supplements in Immunex 365 are formulated to work together and protect you from colds, flu and other respiratory diseases this winter, just head over to immunex365.co.uk. Lovely stuff. It's um, six o'clock. It's the Richie Allen Show, live on richieallen.co.uk, Fab Radio 2 in Manchester. And the programme is on the TuneIn app as well. It's on the TuneIn app. But I might be bringing to you my very own mobile app, which you'll be able to get on the the App Store on Apple devices, and you might be able to get it on Google as well. You will be able to get it on Google. So I'm kind of excited about that, because so many people are listening to this show on their mobile phones, their smartphones, and all the rest of it. I'll be joined by Dr. Jane Dunnigan in a few minutes' time. Another... Guest you do not want to miss. Here's some music from Queen then. This is Radio Gaga. Music from Queen and Radio Gaga from the Works album, 1984. Little bit of trivia for you there. That's right. Always did good album covers, Queen, didn't they? Always good album covers. Unlike Bruce Springsteen, who's whose album covers of late leave a lot to be desired. They're not great now at all. Six minutes it is past six o'clock, then the Richie Allen Show live from BBG Towers here in Salford. Chris says, we know that in politics, criticising Zionism is still regarded as anti-Semitism. We had the Integrity Initiative that did for Corbyn 
for Chris Williamson and Richard Berg and all the candidates for leadership have to proclaim they are a Zionist. And we end up with the globalist. Well, I'm not going to read that out because there's no evidence for that, Chris. But you said the Labour candidates must proclaim they are a Zionist. I don't think that's true. I think it is expected, I think, that the leader of the Labour Party is expected to be also a member of the Labour Friends of Israel, maybe. Maybe that's a thing. Yes, I don't like Jeremy Corbyn. I have no time for him and his nonsense and his fakery. But I don't believe for a moment that Jeremy Corbyn is anti-Semitic or, 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 or hates Jewish people. And that is how they brought down uh, Corbyn. But um, listen, Corbyn, if Corbyn had won an election, nothing would would have changed. You, you, you know, it wouldn't have been utopia. I don't think I need to get into that because I've gotten into that so many times before. Uh, to leave a message for the programme is very straightforward. It's uh, richieallen.co.uk. Comment live. Talk to me and do talk to one another. Okay, bit of discussion about long COVID there. Well, he did say himself, Ryan, he's a lay a layman like, like me. He doesn't have any medical qualifications. Um, like I don't, I don't either. But uh, after a pretty bad dose of the flu or after a nasty viral infection, it can be several weeks before you feel back on your feet again. If I go back to January 2020, before we really knew an awful lot about... We didn't know what was coming, right? So January 2020, two months before lockdown. If, you've, if you know the programme, if you've listened to me long enough, you'll know the story. I was in a desperately, desperately bad situation, health-wise, and thought I was a goner. No, no man flu, no hypochondria. Um, I'm a pretty tough cookie. I've had breathing difficulties off and on my entire life with um, lung problems. But I've looked after myself. I've never smoked or any of that nonsense. And occasionally, once every couple of years, I get a bad one. And and it's bad, right? And it wipes me out. January 2020, I'll never forget it. And it was rotten. Really bad. And thought one particular evening I was a goner because I couldn't breathe. I, I was getting a minimal amount of air, oxygen into my lungs. Anyway, so look, eventually, you know, I my, my condition improved. But I remember into May, into June, I still felt knackered all the time and sore and muscle pains. And I, you know, I attributed that to the infection that I had in January. And that's, I suppose, so there is some, if, I mean, COVID for most people was a very mild thing. If, if it existed, because I know some of you don't believe it existed. I do, but that's we're not going to get into that argument again uh, today. There's no need to do that. Um, Jane Donegan is standing by. Let's get her on the line. Um, lovely to catch up with her again, by the way. So so let's do that. Let's get Jane back on the programme. You, of course, will have heard Jane on this programme in uh, the past. Um, she's a retired GP, vastly experienced, much respected and much much liked GP, who's also practised homeopathy for many years as well. Now, the last time that Jane was on the programme was um, around about March of last year, maybe April last year. And at that point, Jane said that she was seeing worrying evidence that the mRNA jabs were causing harm. 
And at that time, she was campaigning, she was speaking out. Uh, I think she said it was unconscionable to ask children to take this job when children were very unlikely to even get COVID, let alone get seriously ill or become seriously ill. She also said it's unconscionable to ask children to take a medical intervention on behalf of society. I'm delighted she's agreed to come back on the programme. Let's welcome back Dr. Jane Donegan. How are you doing, Jane? Welcome back. Uh, hello, um, Richie. Thank you for inviting me. It's lovely to have you on. I'm going to throw a real curveball question at you now, um, which which we can deal with in 30 seconds or, or two minutes. It's up to you. I've been speaking um, with my first guest, Ryan Christian. We've been talking a little bit about Israel and Palestine and other things. And you and I are going to talk in a minute about Andrew Bridgen and the, the claims made about him after he asked questions about... Um, the safety and efficacy of the COVID jabs. But obviously Holocaust Memorial Day was only a few days ago. It's obviously a period of reflection for uh, for Jews in this country and everywhere else in the world. On on Holocaust denial, Jane, because we're going to talk about that in a minute, um, my accountants are Jewish, but they're also very good friends. They're great supporters of the programme. They're active, you know, synagogue uh, goers and and, uh, the big Jewish community, as you know, in, 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 in Manchester. And I've, yes, I, I've asked them before, particularly Stephen, at Accounts Direct, I've said, when some Egypt says, oh, Jews weren't killed in, in Germany, and that's all nonsense, what should be done with them? Should we banish them? Should we put them on trial? And he said we should just ignore them. As, yes. as a Jewish lady yourself, what should we do with people who go around screaming that the Holocaust never happened? Well... I always wonder, a bit like now, when I wonder, can people not see the evidence of their own eyes? I mean, uh, where did all those bodies come from? Were they all photoshopped? We didn't have Photoshop in those days. Why are all these Jews in other countries whose uh, mothers and fathers and aunties and uncles and often their children, why are they no longer alive? Where did they all disappear to? Why were there villages that were empty of people? Yeah. So I agree with your accountant. When there comes a point where there's no point discussing things with people because they're on transmit only. They're not open to listening. No. And I don't agree with banning what people say because I think people should say what they say and what they said should stay in the air and and it should fall and people should make of it what they do. Yeah, the sad part, when it comes to, to, to bigotry, the sad thing is um, we're... We, we are the sum of all of our parts. We're not all, we're, we're not just opinions. And I've encountered people over the years that take a very, they have very negative opinions about black people. I've met people over the years who have very negative opinions about Jewish people. And yet, um, when you look at their life in a more rounded way, um, they're not the worst people in the world. They just have some rather bizarre opinions. It, it all goes to this big debate we're having at the moment about online harms and freedom of speech and what should be banned and what shouldn't be banned. Thanks for answering that anyway. You didn't come on to answer that, but I suppose we can chat about Andrew Bridgen then because he had that debate, which was attended by seven or eight or nine MPs, um, incredibly, about whether there is evidence that the jabs are causing harm. He talked about suspending the programme, and then he quoted an Israeli doctor, I think, who said that the, the jabs might be or are the worst thing to happen to humanity since the... Uh, since the Holocaust, that was a quote from somebody else. And next thing he knows, Matt Hancock is calling him anti-Semitic, the former health secretary. What do you make of yes. all of that? Yes, well, he said it's 
he quoted somebody else saying it's the worst crime since the Holocaust. And I really don't understand what it is about newspapers and journalists and MPs that they don't seem to be able to read or hear because they're all saying he denied the Holocaust or he said it was like the Holocaust or the same as the Holocaust. And he didn't actually say any of those things. And he was quoting somebody else. Um, and there is a, a big thing about the Holocaust, which is it's almost become a very precious thing in itself, this idea that Jews are defined by being dead. Right. And I don't think it's healthy. Um, in very religious communities, it's not something that people dwell on because Jews uh, in general and most uh, immediately think about life. That's why the toast is l'chaim. And when we have these uh, Holocaust Memorial Days, there's a Holocaust Memorial Day, and I generally don't go to them because I actually frankly think that they're a whole load of humbug. Because people say, oh, this will never happen again, it will never happen again. It would happen again immediately. And if we couldn't see what happened in the last two years was what led to the Holocaust happening immediately, then the people who say, oh, you can't compare anything in the whole world to the Holocaust because that's demeaning the, the sacrifice of the six million, well... They didn't, they didn't sacrifice themselves. They were plain murdered. And what really demeans and degrades their memory is when you don't see what's happening again, happening again. Because as Vera Sharav, the Holocaust survivor, says so eloquently, it didn't start with Auschwitz. It started with othering people. And certainly in Germany, it didn't even start with the Jews. It started with uh, children who had physical disabilities, who had mental disabilities, getting rid of old people, the useless eaters in the T4 program, the Tiergarten Fear program. And only after that did they start going on to Jews. And they started othering people. You know, they said, you're other, you're different, you're a disease carrier. In fact, public health measures were uh, used initially to put Jews into ghettos. They said they were carriers of typhus. Uh, you know, what could be more of a similarity? So, the idea that saying this is somehow degrading their memory, it's not. It's its showing that you don't know anything about it at all. And at one point, there was going to be a, there might still be going to be one, a Holocaust Memorial Centre underground next to the Houses of Parliament. And someone was saying how absolutely marvellous this was. And I said, what's marvellous about it? You know, people stand there and they say it will never happen again. They talk about dead Jews. They're very comfortable with dead Jews, but they're not nearly so comfortable with live ones. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair point. And you know. around the world, I mean, atrocities are being committed in, in parts of the world today that you, you couldn't deny are, are, are comparable. Ethnic cleansing is still a thing that's yes. going on well, right now. The only thing that was different, um, so for many years, people have thought Germans were some kind of evil people. And although we pretend we like them, we don't really like them because we know they did the Holocaust. Um, the only difference between Germans and other people is that in general, they're more efficient. You know, they have Vorsprung durch Technik. They can get things done. That's what was different about what they did. But but what, what they actually did, the awful things they did, how different is that to in the UK where people were telling on their neighbours and ringing up the police and saying, my neighbour's daughter is visiting her and she's not in the same bubble. Police going around arresting women for sitting on the grass. You know, if anybody was put under the strain that the people in Germany were put under by the Nazi regime, and they did it incrementally to see how much people would, uh, you know, accept, they would do exactly the same thing. So, you know, these children get dragged from these schools to go off and learn about Anne Frank. Oh, I'd look after Anne Frank. I'd have her in my basement. You know, I'd never have given up her or her family. What, really? What, really? When there'd be a death penalty over you 
and your and your mother and your father and your son and your daughter, you really would do that, you know, <laughs> when you're the people who rang up because, you know, the next door's daughter was visiting them. So when it comes to Holocaust Memorial, I, I think we need to to celebrate living Jews. And if you're a religious Jew, there is actually a festival. It's called Tisha B'Av, which means the ninth of the lunar month of Av. And it normally takes place in the middle of the summer, July or August. It's the 26th of July this year. And 18 minutes before sunset, it comes in. And when it comes in, you don't eat and you don't drink and you don't wash and you don't anoint yourself and you don't wear leather shoes. You don't sit on proper chairs. You sit on low stools. Um, You go to the synagogue where everyone sits on low stools and the candles are lit. And in a very uh, sad voice, the book of Lamentations is read. Uh, which is a, a terribly a terrible book about the time of the siege of Jerusalem. We remember the destruction of the first temple, the second temple, the expulsion of the Jews from Spain, the expulsion of the Jews from um, England, from Portugal. We remember all the martyrs who 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 died in the Crusades and the pogroms. And we read elegies, and we do the same thing the next morning. And we don't even study parts of the Bible that might make you happy. We're only allowed to study parts that would make you sad, like the book of Job. And at the end of that time, 25 hours till the sun has gone down and and three stars have appeared in the sky, then we get up and we wash and we say to life, okay, we have our sadness. This Holocaust memorial and Yom HaShoah, they're just external. We already had a religious festival for when this happens. And we don't need external ones by people who would do exactly the same thing as they did before. <laughs> uh, incredibly educational. I knew none of this. Thanks, Jane. Dr. Jane Donegan is our guest. It's 20 minutes past six. Let's talk about excess death numbers. Now, Ryan Christian, the guest before you, is a very good journalist. He's an independent journalist, but an ethical one. And he's been collating figures from around the world. The numbers are pretty much the same everywhere, regardless of population size. That's an astonishing thing. Since the start of the year, 3,000 excess death numbers uh, a week. In, we'll talk about this country anyway. Now, the government says, and Chris Whitty, the chief medical officer, says, well, look, hang on a second now. That's because they didn't get their statins. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and other things before you tear this apart. And, yeah. of course, you know, lack of treatment for other things because it became a COVID health service and, and the like of that. What's your reaction to that? They say the jabs, no. The BBC did a big story last week on its website and on all of its news programmes and said there is no evidence to suggest that the mRNA jabs are playing any part in these excess death numbers. Jane? Well, it depends on what you call evidence. Um, if you look at the thousands of people who have reported, uh, who have been reported as dead to the uh, Medicines Healthcare Regulatory Authority or all the people who have been reported as injured, and the MHRA are saying, oh, well, and other people, the government, are saying, oh, well, the yellow card system is not reliable because ordinary people can fill it in. Well, before that, it was one of the jewels in our crown. Oh, we have this system whereby we look at drugs and we test them um, before they're licensed. We, we look at them in trials and then we license them. And But, but because the, the numbers aren't that big and because there might be small things we don't know about when they're used outside of a trial situation, we have the yellow card system. Um, and now suddenly they're saying, oh, but it doesn't really count. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the the people who 
the people who have uh, submitted their adverse reactions they haven't been spoken to they haven't you know nobody's come along to see them one of the things that i think is is worst is that the people who came along to get vaccinated and this is the same for the other vaccines as well this is just the same as all the other vaccines apart from it's much bigger and this one is having a bigger effect in terms of harm um that is that anybody who, who claims to have had an adverse reaction from a vaccine is dismissed as anti-vaccine. Yeah. Well, of course they aren't, because if they were anti-vaccine, and I don't like that word, um, I think pro-health is a much better word because it's much more important to know what you're pro than what you're against. If you were pro-health, you wouldn't have had the vaccine in the first place. You're, you're not. You went off to have it. Some people didn't even think they had any risk, but they were doing what they were told was the, the patriotic thing to do. And then they were injured. And there's fathers who can't support their families. There's relatives who are dead. And and they're trying to get, well, I can't call it compensation. How can you call it compensation for a, a destroyed life? But it is so difficult to get the uh, Department of Work and Pens Pensions vaccine damage payment section to pay anything. You know, I've seen it with people who've tried to claim when their child has been injured in their opinion after a vaccine and they want scans and they want MRI scans and they want this and that and the other. These people don't ha haven't done that. They just noticed maybe that something happened and they said something to someone and, and then nobody listened to them and nobody sent them off for a scan. Their GP wouldn't send them off for a scan. They said it wasn't related. So that's why one of the few people who has had a payout in the United States for the MMR vaccine injury that she had was Hannah Poling. And that's because her father was a neurologist. So he saw how she was and he could get all his friends to do all the scans. But other people don't have that opportunity. And of course, all the settlements are out of court. So that means you never actually get to look at all the information that was brought there. So um, it's appalling. And a while ago, I think it's about six months ago, when these excess deaths were being noticed, what did the government say? They said, well, they think that the cardiac problems are probably... Um, uh, an effect of COVID. So they were going to pay a lot of money for people to start looking at the effect of COVID on your heart. And it's a bit like having an elephant in the room and just deciding that you will walk around it. Yeah. Apart from it's worse, because these are human lives. And what about, it's unfair to ask you this. Well, it's not unfair. You you probably won't have the answer. Well, nobody does. The scale. What, what, what do we... How big do we imagine this might be? And by big, I don't mean to say that in a tabloid way. There's nothing yeah. big about this. But in terms of numbers, how, how well, bad? We don't, the thing is, we don't really know because there are many people who've had five COVID vaccines and they say, I'm fine. I didn't get a stroke. I haven't got heart problems. We haven't done any um, blood tests on them to see what their kidney or liver or thyroid function are doing. But they say, I'm absolutely fine. In terms of longer term things, we don't know what's waiting down the road. But for the unfortunate people that, that, that this has happened to, there seem to be a lot. But I don't know what the numbers are. I don't think anybody knows. And we're certainly not trying to find out. Well, the government is not interested. It's as simple as that. No, no. Well, you noticed, I mean, almost immediately when the COVID started to ramp itself down, we immediately had a war with Ukraine. In fact, there was a meme that I thought was quite funny. It had a picture of Vladimir Putin receiving the Nobel Prize for medicine for having got rid of COVID in one day. I did see that meme. Yeah. Are you, are <laughs> you, know. you, are you telling me that, that you are prepared to consider that the, Ukraine, the Ukrainian war was more than just a handy convenience to something else going on? 
oh, I think there's a lot more going on. Whether it was to distract people from COVID, I don't know. But certainly it was very handy that everybody started then being able to put yellow and um, blue flags in their windows and uh, and forget about everything else. And forget about everything else, yeah. And um, recently, of course, and this hasn't, it, it was reported on, but there hasn't been enough discussion about it. They've effectively stopped the programme for people under 50, haven't they? They've decided that even if you haven't had your first one, and you're under 50 and you're healthy, you will not be offered one. And if you're under 50 and healthy and you've had one, you will not be offered your second or your third one. Now, again, it's a fair question to ask the government, well, is that because you understand now that the jabs are causing harm? Or is it because you're accepting that COVID is more or less gone and there's no need for it. I mean, those that's a fair question. Is it because they're worried about the injuries and they're keeping it quiet or because COVID has gone away, Jane? Or or is it the, the idea that scarcity might make people rush to try and get a vaccine? We're not offering you the vaccine anymore. There's not enough to go round. You know, roll up, roll up. When it's gone, it's gone. That's an interesting... I didn't consider that, no. But but it's, yeah. it's, it's possible. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, so... Yes, I mean, in America, they're not saying that. In America, they're saying you need to have it. They've got Fauci, who I think retired on the 31st of December from his uh, previous role. And now he's going around saying, explaining exactly why you need to have this uh, booster, the latest one. I won't attempt to um, copy his accent. Um, And (laughs) why the fact that it doesn't stop you getting it or passing it on, um, it will nonetheless make you less likely to have a severe dose. I mean, I really take my hat off to the people who are promoting these vaccines. They they have been so good every step of the way. The more sick you feel after you have a vaccine, the, the better it's working and the more it's promoting an immune response. Um, and then the idea that, well, uh, when you get the COVID after you've had the vaccine, it would have been worse. You know, it would have been worse and you'd have been in hospital. And if you are in hospital, they say, well, it would have been worse. You would have been in ITU. Uh, and if you're in ITU, they say, well, it would have been worse. You'd have been dead. And of course, if you're dead, no one's going to say anything to you. What, doctor? Of course, nobody can say anything to you at all. Dr. Jane <laughs> Dunnigan is our guest. What about personal responsibility? Can I play you something? It's only going to take me about 30, well, not even 30 seconds. Um, I meant to do this last time we spoke, first of all, to make mm. you laugh, because I like making people laugh. Mm. And second of all, because personal responsibility... I'm not the brightest person in my own house. I'm not the brightest on the street. Far from it, right? But um, I have a bit of common sense about me. So I knew that I didn't need to have any of these jobs. Yeah, well, common sense. The thing about common sense, Richie, is that it's not very common. It's not as common as we would prefer it to be. Fair enough. Matthew phoned in to BBC Radio 5 Live back in 2021. Matthew was annoyed at the unjabbed. And he said, he told Nicky Campbell at the time on on the breakfast programme, he's since done another programme, he's moved on. Matthew said, I don't want hospital places to be reserved for the unjabbed. They should be reserved for the jabbed who get injured from the jabs. Have a listen to this, Jane. And this is the thing, because as bad as the government and the scientific advisors are, I think people should take some responsibility. Let's remember Matthew, just for a laugh here, on uh, the Richie Allen Show. Listen to this. I had the vaccine. It put me in hospital for a day. But I haven't moaned. I've had the second one. And it put me in hospital for another day. But I'd much rather have that than COVID. Right, and then he said... Why on earth should somebody who has refused to have it take a bed that I might need if I have a bad reaction to it? 
well, Jane, why should somebody who refused to have the jab take up a bed that I might need when I have a bad reaction to it? You see, I, I'm, I'm not a hard man. And by hard, I mean I'm not, I'm not cold, I'm not callous. I love people and I have sympathy for them. But yeah. when I hear guys like Matthew, I think, you bloody deserve it, man. Am I being unkind? Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, he's that's it. You know, I got really ill and then I took it and then I got really ill and I, I took, took it, it again. again. People, are being, <laughs> people are being trained not to take any notice of what they see with their eyes, what they hear with their ears and what they feel with their body. They are so indoctrinated. And this idea that we're all saving the NHS, saving what? I mean, when COVID started, they were talking about how many people were blocking up the hospitals. Have they forgotten that every single winter that the hospitals are full, people lie in trolleys blocking up the corridors, there's no beds, they sometimes stay there for three or four days, they sometimes die on the trolleys, and suddenly everybody forgot all of that, it was suddenly COVID and the hospitals were empty. Now, I don't think I, I don't know if I said this last time, but I remember from 1999 to 2000, that winter, there were so many people dying that uh, some NHS hospitals had to hire refrigerated lorries, which they had to keep their engines running in the car parks to put the bodies in because the mortuaries were full, right? There were so many people dying, they cancelled the nurses' leave, the doctors' leave, they cancelled non-urgent surgery. And there were ambulances going from London as far north as Derby to get an ITU bed. And I've only met one person who can remember this. Nobody remembered because we just carried on. We didn't close the shops. We didn't have a vaccination campaign. We didn't close businesses. We didn't have masks. We didn't have social distancing. We just got on with it. And the whole COVID disaster has been created by government policy. And there are so many things happening now where they say it was the lockdown, as if the lockdown is a person. It was the people who enforced the lockdown. Yeah, yeah. No, they brought it in. They wrecked the businesses, wrecked our economy, and are now wrecking it more by sending all these arms to uh, uh, Ukraine so that more poor Ukrainians can die. I have a question for you. If somebody arrived from another planet tomorrow and asked you, Dr. Jane Dunnigan, with all of your experience, if they asked you to describe COVID-19, how would you describe it to them in a way that they could understand it? The actual you mean, virus. You, the mean actual, the, you yeah. mean the social phenomenon that happened or no, COVID-19 disease? The disease, yeah. How would you describe it to them? I would describe it as the same as uh, every winter we have a lot of people dying of some kind of viral associated disease. And that's what COVID was. Uh, it was really a test-demic. If we had tested everybody with a PCR test the previous year and the previous year for whatever flu we thought it was, we'd have had pandemics every year. Every year there are people carrying whatever they pick up on PCR tests. And some people have symptoms. Okay, most of them don't. And the reason we stopped having so many COVID cases is because we stopped testing them. So I don't think it was any different to any other year. And certainly in 2020, um, if you don't look at COVID deaths, because the COVID deaths you can't rely on because they called everything COVID. But if you look at the total death rate in the UK, and the figures are available for 2020, so you have to standardise them for population like every hundred per hundred thousand because if the population is bigger more people are going to die so per hundred thousand and you have to stratify it for age because if you're 80 you're more likely to die this year we hope than if you're 18 and you find that yes covid was the highest that 2020 was the highest death rate for a, a few years but if you look at the previous 10 years uh, the, the previous 20 years it was the ninth highest death rate for the previous 20 years and if you go back to 1990 it was the 19th highest death rate 
So it wasn't, even with all the people not being treated and all the clinics being closed and the people not getting their cancer treatment, it wasn't an outrageously high death rate compared to what we've had in the last 20 or 30 years. Um, and so the fact that we've got excess deaths now, when since we've had the vaccine, which we don't acknowledge, that is a big source for concern and questioning. Yeah, somebody said to me recently on this show no, that a good question would be, and you've just asked it, why is the government not intervening to, you know, to try and some some non-medical interventions to deal with the current excess death uh, numbers? That's a good question, isn't it, Jane? I mean, uh, yeah. they jumped in for COVID and imposed lockdowns on people, which have done terrible damage to, uh, to obviously, to, to people, first of all, than the economy. Well, the economy else. damages people. When the economy is down, poverty kills more people than anything. Yeah. And they die from disease because of poverty. They die from suicide because of poverty. You know, they don't have enough to eat because of poverty. Poverty is a big deal, and that's what we're doing. We're completely beggaring the, the economy. And what, what's going to be left for our children? I don't know. Can we touch on this then? Dr. Jane Dunnigan is our guest. Um, Jane's website, there's a lot of really interesting um, information on there. It's jane-dunnigan.co.uk. I recommend you check it out. And I grabbed this from Jane today. It's um, Western medicine's germ theory of disease. You meet a bacterium or a virus and you catch it unless you've had it before and you've got immunity. But you say if this were true, everyone on a bus would come down with, this with the flu. flu. Yeah, and, and they don't yeah, always. But it's new. Right. Yeah, this is really interesting. Not yeah. because they have the antibodies to the flu, but because the flu virus changes every year. The germ theory and terrain theory. I don't know. Um, my memory is usually pretty good. And uh, I remember the, the, the previous two times you were on uh, the show quite well. Did we get into germ theory and terrain theory? Because you've obviously, um, you know, you've been studying and practicing homeopathy for many years alongside, yes. you know, your, 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 your work as a GP. What, what do you make of these claims about viruses? You know, well, it, well, in terms of viruses, there are people who say viruses don't exist. Yeah. Well, I don't think that's very helpful because there is something that people see when they look uh, under a microscope, yes. well, with a microscope, and they call them viruses. So the things that people call viruses, whatever they are, they exist because people see them. Whether they're the things that cause the disease, whether they're infectious particles, that's a completely different story altogether. And the fact is we're surrounded by bacteria and viruses all the time. Uh, in fact, without, for example, bacteria, we wouldn't be able to be alive. Yeah. About two and a half kilos of us are bacteria in our body. I always blame them for the bit of excess <laughs> weight. <laughs> it's what I'm going to lose, Another kilo Jane. of bacteria. Um, and yeah. so, what's so? For example, people get very scared of meningitis. Now, that's actually a bacterial disease, but they think that because they're in the same classroom or the pub or the car as the person who had meningococcal meningitis, that they're going to catch it from them. But one in six of us have one of the types of the meningococcus up our nose at any one time. If there's a, a case of invasive disease, which is not up your nose, it's when it's left your nose to invade your brain or your bloodstream, septicemia, that's even worse. That's when you get the red spots that don't go white under the glass. That's when you get invasive disease. So it's not a question of whose toothbrush did I use. It's why would something that lives up so many people's noses, because I said it's 50% if there's a case around you. If you're at one of the universities like Southampton or Cardiff in the 90s, where they had big outbreaks, everybody's got up, up their nose. So the question is not what about the germ? It's why would something that lives up so many people's noses decide to leave their nose and invade their brain or their bloodstream? And the answer is two things. One, 
How have they had their fevers managed? When the body has attempted to clean itself out, have you stopped all the fever with your paracetamol and ibuprofen and antihistamines and uh, adrenaline-like things to dry up the cough? Or have you supported the body through it? You know, opening the window, fluids, not eating, going to bed so that the body does what it needs to do. So is the body used to externalizing things? It's a bit like a violin, you know. So somebody gives you a violin today, you're not going to be playing in Carnegie Hall tomorrow. No. You might never, you know, unless you have lots of practice. And then secondly, what do you do with this particular fever that you've got now? How do you manage it? And that's what makes the difference between invasive disease and not. And the medical profession, well, we've just seen it with the group A invasive strep. You know, oh, be terrified of the nightmare disease and the killer strain. No, it's, it's you. It's the soil where you plant the seed. That's, that's what makes the difference. Have you brought your child up, if it's a child, to always be good at externalizing things so they've got a strong immune system? And are you supporting them through this now? So taking all of the, the, the beachums, the night and day, and all of the stuff you just mentioned there yeah. inhibits yes, you know, a well, return to wellness. Well, yeah. Well, when you have a fever, the reason you have a fever is because it speeds up all the chemical reactions in your body. So the liver filters, sorry, the liver detoxifies faster, the kidneys filter better, you know, all your white cells gobble up foreigners better. And uh, and that's why you do it. And so you might say, well, sounds fab. So why don't we always have a higher temperature? Well, it's because the body's very uh, economical. To do a, a higher temperature, you have to eat more food, do more metabolism. There's a big, you know, economic um, strain um, in fact, the Chancellor of the Exchequer could do with looking at how the body, how economic the body is. So it only raises the fever, the temperature when you need to have it doing that. So you can be darn sure that if the body raises the temperature, you need to not interfere. And when you take uh, paracetamol and ibuprofen, you have to now detoxify them in the liver. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's what happens to them. And so now the liver that was supposed to be detoxifying you is having to break down these chemicals. Another thing is when you're doing a a clean-out process, some of the things you produce are not very nice that for the body. They're called free oxide radicals, or they're now called um, reactive oxygen species. And they're a bit like having a five-year-old with a blowtorch going around your sitting room. Right. And so they need to be uh, quenched. So one of the things that does that is glutathione, and another one is uh, vitamin C. One of the pathways for detoxifying paracetamol uses up glutathione. So you're trying to do a detox. Now you've bunged up your liver with things that need detoxing, plus you're taking the glutathione that you need. And some, some people listening to me have said, oh, I shouldn't be using paracetamol, I'll use ibuprofen. Well, the answer to that is don't have it in your house and don't just throw it in your bin, wrap it up so it doesn't leak into the groundwater. So ibuprofen is not good for your kidneys. It makes you retain fluid. It's bad for your heart. The, uh, in terms of viral, these viral illnesses we talk about, the uh, World Health Organization says don't use it for Ebola. The French Ministry of Health in 2018 said don't use it for any viral respiratory illnesses. They noticed in COVID that some people who didn't seem to have high risk factors were having a bad outcome. And some smart doctors in France uh, associated this with ibuprofen, but uh, we didn't take any notice. Well, we did for about two weeks. And then we said, go back to give, go back to giving the ibuprofen. The NICE guidelines say if you have chickenpox, you mustn't use ibuprofen because it predisposes you to having invasive bacterial disease like strep A, like the group A strep and staph, like MSRA, okay? Um, so basically, you should never use it at all, ever. And in the, in the just recent panic about group A strep where 
parents were told if your child has a sore throat or a fever or a cough, you must take them to the GP, you must keep them from school, you must put them to bed, you must give them antibiotics. There wasn't one piece of public health information that said, tell people not to give ibuprofen. Why? Why do you think that is? I think it's ignorance. I don't think it's planned. I think it's just ignorance. There are so many people who never join any dots. They never do any reading. They never think. And we're encouraged not to think. In fact, one of the criticisms currently um, about me by the General Medical Council is that um, I made a hypothesis uh, about something when I was in Cuba about paracetamol. And we were just discussing it at a lecture. But you're not allowed to think and you're not allowed to discuss. You're not allowed to observe and you're not allowed to put uh, one plus one together. What you're supposed to do is just follow the guidelines and don't think. And in that case, why do we need to have doctors? Why would you be a doctor? Can we stay? No, not why would you be one? Why do we need why, to why, have a doctor? Why have one? Yeah. So let's stay. Why with... have one at all? And they they cost a lot of money. We pay them lots of money, and they just regurgitate guidelines, a bit like the judges in the courts of protection, who just do whatever the Department of Health says because that's what the doctors say. We don't need a, a court of protection in that case. They're not doing their jobs. Let's stay. No, they're not doing their job. Let's stay with this, right? Because pretty soon, the responsibility for pandemic response is going to lie solely with, with the, the World, World Health, Health Organization, Organization. Yeah. and doctors will not be permitted to think for themselves and to say, "Well, hang on a second, maybe that's not the right way forward." It seems that this is inevitable. That com- countries are going to give power over over response to the World Health Organization for for, for new listeners. And shows like this are attracting yeah. new listeners all the yes. time because of injuries and what have you. Why is that terrifying? Well, it's it's terrifying, but it's not understandable. The reason it's mostly terrifying is because the World Health Organization is nothing about health, a bit like the National Health Services. I call it the National Sickness Service. And the World Health Organization, why should we give our sovereignty to the World Health Organization? What's the point of being a sovereign nation? And particularly in this country, this country came out of the EU because it wanted to be a sovereign nation. So why would you then immediately hand your power over to the World Health Organization, which has its own complete different agenda? I mean, this COVID pandemic, this time it worked, we got a pandemic. They tried to do this with SARS. You know, they tried to do it with Zika. They tried to do it with Ebola. They're always trying to make a pandemic. I, I don't know why. Is it because it makes them more important or they get more money or they get more funds? And of course, who's a major funder of the World Health Organization? And it's our friend, um, Mr. Gates and his foundation. And yeah. this is the person who who doesn't know anything medical at all, but he knows how to make money and manipulate people. And someone said something about his, uh, uh, he's a fine one to talk with all the viruses his programmes had. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he is interviewed on national television in English speaking countries. And he is given, he is given the status of expert when he speaks. And he speaks in these terms, which are extraordinary. Well, um, experts like me, um, believe and you know he doesn't say doctors like me he doesn't go as far as that well no no because he's not actually a doctor no but, of course um, not. I'm sure someone will give him an honorary doctorate soon but he's got no business being there but who are the people who he's paying to, to give to give yeah. him that power I mean that's the thing it's, it's to do with corruption at the very beginning of corona in February a doc, uh, Patrick Valance who used to work for Merck who's our chief scientific officer he said uh, this is a bad, this is like a bad flu. And what we need to do is we need to sequester or protect the vulnerable people. And Boris went up there and he sort of said, a few people are going to have to die. 
And uh, and then all the newspapers gave it to him in the neck and the whole thing changed over. And then we were locking everybody up and locking up healthy people for the first time ever and saying people were ill because of a, a test. And so why did that swap over like that? I don't know. I don't understand. But it's not the fact that it happened all over the world. Every single country went over means that, I, I don't know, we seem to have puppet governments. Puppet governments. And what about those doctors and I interviewed them on this show they like yourself qualified people went to reputable universities um, they are being called conspiracy theorists because yes. they, they believe that th- there is going to be a real change in how medicine is practiced that people will not be treated but they'll be increasingly encouraged to take one mRNA jab after another for all manner of problems yes. like diabetes and that this is where they're taking medicine and hence we have, you know, these convenient pandemics. Do you think those doctors have got a point? I think they definitely got a point. And the thing is, what work, what works best? I think it was Goebbels who said that if you can keep people afraid, they're easier to manipulate. And this is all about fear. And in 2010, the Cabinet Office uh, published the Mindspace document, which uh, you can get as a PDF, Mindspace, 2010. And basically it talked about how we'll be able to change what people think without their even knowing. And do you know something else? I've, I've read paragraphs of, from, from that document. It's come up on the programme before. I didn't know about it. I had to be educated about it. But um, I understand that you mentioned Merck there. They're, they're developing self-spreading vaccines to deal with the um refusals yeah the great unwashed who don't want to be vaccinated well that is what worries me you know for example if you go to australia um you sit in your airplane and before you disembark they spray you with insecticide i didn't know that either what's what's yeah in case you bring um in case you bring some kind of uh invasive species or or something yeah god's own country yeah um and so what's going to happen when they decide they're just going to squirt stuff into a lift or into a tube train when you won't have a choice then, that will be it. Because sticking it in your arm is a bit primitive, really, having to get people to line up. Although they've done it, you know, they all have lined up and stuck their arms out. Um, and do you know something, Jane? You can just have it by stealth. Because, because there's bound to be somebody screaming at their device, ah, the doctor is a mad woman for saying that. Let's go back to what you said earlier on. If, um, even though it was probably dicey for some Jews in Germany in mm. 1931, 1932, if you'd said to some of those people, in a few years' time, they're going to put you in camps, they're going to machine gun you to they, death, they, they're going to... never, yeah. never have believed you. There's, there's, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, they would never, never have believed it because they're in, the, they're in the country of Goethe and Schiller and Beethoven and all those great poets. Yeah. And, and you know, almost at the cultured race. That's right. But what it showed us, this what COVID showed us, I think, is that inside every person there is a Nazi. There's nothing special about Germans. They were just ordinary people. And anyone you manipulate like that. I mean, there were two people in a university where these um, when these procedures were happening and people were being locked away and Jews had to wear yellow stars and weren't allowed into places. They weren't Jewish. They made some pamphlets. They passed them around. And one of their own tutors saw the pamphlet, reported them to the police and they were beheaded. So tell me, how many people after seeing somebody be beheaded for complaining about what's going on? Tell me how many people are going to get up there and help those people yeah, and that's say right. anything. It's I, going to be zero. 
back in 2001, I, I went to, uh, to Munich to see a friend of mine who's still living there. And the, uh, the band U2 were playing at the Olympia Halle at the same time. So it was a nice week. But yeah. he, he said to me, Emmett, would you want to go down to um, Dachau? And I said, Jesus, why would I want to see that? Yeah. Like, it's terrible, you know. But he said, look, it's an important place. And uh, he said, you know, we'll, we'll go down there. So we went down there and we saw it. And there was a really elderly gentleman. He must have passed away by now. A, mm. ger- a German gentleman. And he spoke good English. And he popped up to us and he asked us where we were from. So he said, we're from Ireland. I'm from Waterford. Emmett's from Tipperary. Yeah. And uh, I said, this is some horrendous place, isn't it? And he said, I was um, in my 20s when this place was operational, he said. And I pop mm. in a couple of times a month. I pop in to talk to people by way, by way of um, contrition, by way of penance, to tell them that I'm ashamed that we knew what was going on in here. But we yes. were so scared and in fear of our own lives yes. that we never did anything. But we knew they were doing yeah. godless satanic experiments on people in here we knew this stuff yeah. he said and uh, we were terrified and I it's, said to him well God will forgive you I mean you were terrified you feared yeah. for your life you know you did. and I'm sure th- those people who died would, would, would forgive you they'd welcome you into heaven if heaven is a place that exists but yeah you, you brought that back to me there sheer terror will keep people terror. quiet yeah you know and it, it's like yeah. someone who didn't vaccinate her children has never had any vaccines but she had the COVID vaccine because she needed to go and visit her father yeah. to help him well so that's what she did so how many other people are going to do something so that they can visit their father everybody's always going to do that there are some people and i don't know how they did it who actually were prepared in germany where um some of the jews were really quite well off to leave their beautiful house and their doctorate degree and their um you know their trinkets or their furniture that from their great great grandmother or whatever and take their children away and and get out and go with nothing and everybody else thought they were bonkers, you know, and they weren't. They were the people who stayed alive. And the other people who stayed alive were the ones who paid with their money to get false papers and false passports and false certificates. And to get out of Dodge. I, I, listen, yeah. it's, it's a fair, and the, the, the Israeli doctor who said what he said to Bridgen might have meant more than, you know, he might have meant more than, than simply the jabs are causing harm maybe that israeli uh, i think he was talking about the compliance yeah yeah the compliance and where that leads about the compliance yeah because that's what led to it because the nazis uh they they couldn't have done this on their own you you can't do this if if people stood up against you you wouldn't be able to do it but that's what the people rely on they rely on the, the vast masses of people behaving like masses of people and just doing what they're told and not wanting to put their head above the parapet jane we've got about 40 seconds left so final question to you is there still time for humanity, for society, to prevent this dystopian world they want to bring in? Is there time for us yes. to stop it? Well, the only thing you need to do is you need to be happy, optimistic and have children. Loads of children. Happy and optimistic because this thing feeds on negative emotions. You feed the beast if you're terrified and scared. That's what, the, that's what is wanted. I don't know what it is. No idea what it is, but I know if you're happy and you're grateful for what you have and you're nice to your neighbours and you um, you are optimistic and you have children, you'll be okay. And the fact is you might end up in a gas chamber, but you know, you might as well be happy before that happens. Exactly. Don't. Uh, what do they say about heroes and cowards? Yeah, they, the hero dies only once. The yes. coward yes. dies a thousand deaths. The coward yeah. dies every day. And as my dear Auntie Peggy used to say, who just died last in December, she said, if you worry, you die. 
And if you don't worry, you die. So why worry? God bless Peggy. Where was Peggy from? She was from Monaghan. Was she a Monaghan woman? She was fantastic. Listen, um, don't wait to be asked on. I said this to you last year and then you disappear. I know you're on Telegram and and elsewhere, but any time you've got something to say and you want a good chat for a half an hour or 40 minutes... Okay, well, you don't say that. I've got so much to say. You, you no, no, I do, but I do mean it. This is not... I'm not doing the Irish thing here like Peggy. I'm not kind of, as we say, plomosing you, as we say, yeah. back in the old country. No, do. Anytime you want, give us a okay. shout and we'll, we'll make yeah. time for you. It's Thank Jane. You. Always nice to talk to you, Richie. Well a, done and keep up the good work. It's a pleasure, Jane. Thank you so much. Go to jane-donegan.co.uk and Jane is spelled J-A-Y-N-E. Um, Dr. Jane Dunnigan on Wednesday's Richie Allen show. It's great to have her back on the programme. Thanks for your comments. They are legion today. But wrapped up in the chat with Jane, I didn't get a chance to to uh, to read any of them out. But uh, thank you for commenting and taking part. I've got uh, Justin Barrett from the Irish National Party, would you believe, on the programme tomorrow. I'm looking forward to meeting Justin. I've spoken to uh, Justin's wife, Rebecca, on the show a few times over the last couple of years. We're going to talk about the housing crisis in Ireland, um, issues, obviously serious issues in the country with um, with um, mass migration or mass immigration in Ireland and the treatment of people who dare to ask questions about the sanity of such a, a programme in Ireland, uh, because everybody apparently in Ireland is a racist at the moment, everybody, for asking questions about, you know, why can't we get access to social housing? Why are thousands of Ukrainians coming into the country? Why are thousands of people coming in to the country from, um, from Eastern Europe and other parts of the world? Uh, why is nobody looking at the impact this is having on wider Irish society? So we'll, we'll get into that with Justin Barrett and more on uh, tomorrow's programme. That's um, pretty much it for me, I think. Is there anything else to tell you today? I'm just looking. I'm going to play out the programme today with uh, with the Tom Jones song. The reason being the Welsh choir, which performs, it performs at the, at the Millennium Stadium. It's not called the Millennium Stadium, it's the Principality now, is it? In Cardiff, where Wales plays rugby union. It's amazing. One of the things I'd like to do is watch Ireland play Wales in Wales, in Cardiff. It must be an amazing day out. The Welsh are amazing. They're great singers, fierce rugby union supporters. They love it. But um, they've banned the singing of the song Delilah by Tom Jones because it's about killing a woman, right? Okay. And the reason they're doing that is because the Welsh Rugby Union Board has been accused of misogyny and racism and all of that malarkey. So nevermore will they sing Delilah, which is it's just mad to think of because as long as I've been watching Wales play rugby on television, I've been listening to them sing this song in the crowd. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks to Jane. Thanks to Ryan Christian. Look after yourselves and one another. Bye.